Last week, we looked at uh, the idea in Romans 8, 1 to 11, that every day of our lives, we're either living in the Spirit or in the flesh. And unfortunately, sometimes we travel back and forth during the same day, don't we? But we're, li- we're living either in the flesh or in the Spirit. Every day of your life, there, there's not a third option. There's not a, a third place. Now, before coming to Christ... We live every day of our life 24-7 in the flesh. We can do no other. We're enslaved to it. We have to answer to the flesh. But after Christ, we're freed from that. We're no longer obligated to the flesh. We don't have to respond to it. We now have the option. We now have the opportunity to live in the Spirit. Even though sometimes as believers, we, we journey back to the flesh for a moment and kind of go back and forth between these two places. Now, by the flesh, you remember last week we defined that as that's where my focus is, that's what my dependence upon. Flesh means self is the driver. It's, it's my goodness, it's my right and wrong, it's my rules, it's my strength, it's my wisdom, but of course with that comes my sin. And, and the Lord told us in Romans 8 that when we're living in the flesh, we cannot please God. We might be doing a lot of good things. We might be doing things that, that people in the church applaud us for. Man, you're so wonderful. I could wish I could be like you. But if you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. You might say, well, but, but what if I'm doing good in the flesh? What if, what if my flesh is pretty moral? What if my flesh is pretty religious? You're aiming at the wrong target then. Because you have to remember, God never said, here's the challenge, here's the target. I want to see how smart, how, how strong, how spiritual you can be in yourself. That's not the target. That's not the goal. Because in yourself, you're always tainted with sin. And that word sin means to fall short. You're not hitting the target. You, you might be doing better than a lot of the rest of us. You might be very smart. You might be very strong. You might look very spiritual, but you fall short of God's glory. You fall short of the standard. That's horrible news. The, the great news, though, is that God doesn't leave us stuck there. He gives us another option, another opportunity, and that is to live life in the Spirit. God will actually, I just thought this was so incredible what we looked at last week, to think that God would take up residence in me. I I went from being, you went from being literally a house under condemnation. A house worthy of being bulldozed. That's how bad it was. But after the work of Christ on the cross, after our faith in that work, we now become a home that God himself will live in. In the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help you, will help me, Follow after Christ. The Holy Spirit is the helper that Christ promised. Did did you catch that title, that name? The helper? Not the dictator. Not the director. Don't, Don't hear me diminishing the authority of the Holy Spirit. Don't hear me diminishing the role of the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and right and wrong. But But the primary role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to help you. He's not there to crack the whip inside you and bring you in line with a set of expectations so that you're then spiritual enough for for God to bless or God to do something with. Man, folks, the, the Holy Spirit is there to help you enjoy God. Romans chapter 8 is about living the Spirit-filled, the Spirit-directed life. 
And what Paul wants to show us in this passage, folks, is you and I have so much more to do than just overcome rejection. Isn't that good news? You know, I wonder this past week, just these last seven days, how many things you did that I did. And some of us would be a lot and some of us not so many, but every one of us did something. I'm confident of that. Did at least one thing. We made one bad decision. We committed one sin that was driven by a fear of being rejected. That was driven by an obsession with somebody or somebody's approval. We're we're driven by that. I mean, why do you think we are involved in sexual immorality? Why do we lie? Why do we make ourselves greater than we are, pretend to be something we're not? Why do we have to push others down so that we're lifted up? Why are we so obsessed with what they're saying? Because we are afraid of being rejected. We desperately want approval. And that's why it's so incredible that right up front, Jesus comes to us in Romans 8.1 and says, listen, this relationship will never end in your condemnation. This relationship will never end in your rejection. So we're freed from all that. We're freed from having to fight, from having to claw, from having to live in the fear of, of being good enough. We're set free from that. We no longer have to live in the flesh, working, striving to be good enough. But now we can focus on living in the Spirit. Putting our faith and our confidence in God's grace. Putting our faith and confidence in the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit's help. And that's what Romans chapter 8 wants to help us to do. No longer driven by rejection, but getting to operate and live in the power and in the position that God has given us. You are incredibly loved, and you have been given a great position in life. Let's look and see what that is this morning. Would you look with me in your Bible at Romans chapter 8? 12 to 17, verses 12 to 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. Grab one and read along or have somebody hand it to you. This is our second of six messages in Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Everybody's there. I don't hear any more turning of pages. Good. Romans 8, 12. It says, so then, brothers, we're not obligated... You see that word? We're not obligated to live to the flesh, according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. The passage starts off by saying, we are no longer obligated to the flesh. Now, if you were here last week, if you've been reading, you know, boy, starting in verse 1 all the way down to what we've read, we've kind of been counterbalancing. There's, there's life in the flesh and there's life in the Spirit. And this passage starts off by saying, boy, we're not obligated. We're not indebted. We don't have to answer to the flesh anymore. And so I think what our mind then automatically reads into it, I'm not obligated to the flesh. I'm now obligated to the Spirit, Right? I'm I'm obligated, I owe him. And yet, it doesn't actually say that. 
It does not say that we're obligated, that we're in debt, that we owe the Holy Spirit. You know, when you're obligated, when you're in debt, there is the potential you actually pay it off, right? If I owe something, if I'm in debt, if, I, if I'm obligated to you to meet a commitment, obviously there's the potential I meet the commitment. And now I'm, I'm back to neutral or maybe even I go a little bit above and, and now I'm in the good and, and you owe me. But we're never in that position with the Holy Spirit. We are not obligated to the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. To meet a set of expectations and then once you and I've done that, then the Holy Spirit now is obligated to us to be the Holy Spirit and do what God's put Him in here to do. Man, folks, our only obligation is to let the Spirit be the Spirit. It's to, it's to be sensitive to how He's moving and working, to enjoy what He's doing. But the Holy Spirit is not waiting on you to meet a set of standards and then He's going to do something. You know, last week we talked about setting our mind on the Spirit. You remember that? Man, I want, my, I want my mind sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to know the Holy Spirit. I want to know what He's doing in me. And so we talked about how we can be sensitive to that. Remember we said you can read your Bible. You can confess sin. You can yield control of your life. Remember we talked about doing that continually? It's, it's not a once a month thing. It's not a once a week thing. But man, daily and, and sometimes throughout the day we're doing this. Now, what you did not need to hear me say last week, I hope you didn't hear me say this. If you go home and do these three things, then the Holy Spirit will reveal Himself. The Holy Spirit will bless you. If you read your Bible enough, if you confess enough sins, if you yield control well enough, boy, if you do all that good enough, then, well, then now the Holy Spirit would be obligated, right? No. That's not what's happening. Folks, reading my Bible, praying, worshiping, fellowshipping with other believers, serving in the ministry, serving together in the church. These are not expectations to meet and then God. Folks, these are ways to make my spirit sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. Sensitive to who the Holy Spirit is in my life so that I can enjoy it. So that I can experience it and see it and live in it and operate from it. And you say, well, what is the Holy Spirit doing in my life? About the most incredible, loving thing that you've got going on in this world. There's no other place where something so incredible, so wonderful is being done for you than what the Holy Spirit is, capital I-S, is doing in the life of a believer. This passage guides us into three incredible things that the Holy Spirit is doing when He lives in us. I want us to look at that today and see what is true. Not when you go home and do one, two, three, four, five, then this will be true of you. What is true of you as you walked in here this morning? What is true of you as a believer in Jesus Christ? And then we're going to see, hey, am I living in that? But there's three things, clearly, folks. Number one, when the Holy Spirit is living in us, He is going to lead us to that assurance that confidence that we belong to God. Look there in verse 14, it says that the, the children of God, that, that we are, if we are being led by God's Spirit, then we're sons of God, right? Now that word lead is not about leading us in right and wrong decisions. It's not about leading us to turn right or to turn left. The Holy Spirit plays that role. 
You and I in prayer should be depending upon the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, do I turn right or do I turn left? Holy Spirit, do I do this? Is this right or is this wrong? We should be depending upon Him in that way. That's not what this is about. What this passage is saying is that the Holy Spirit will lead you and I to evidences that we belong to God. Folks, God wants you to know that you're His child. He wants you to know the confidence and the excitement that that can and should be bringing to life. And so he puts the Holy Spirit in me and the Holy Spirit guides me and points out evidences. Look, there, 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 there. You say, well, what would he, what would he be pointing out? Well, knowing the Holy Spirit, he's going to say, hey, look over there. Look at your love over there. Look at the joy. Over there, look at the patience. Man, look over there. Man, that was, that was self-control there. Now, what, what, what are those words? What are those part of? Fruit of the Spirit, that's right. Fruit, what's fruit? Fruit is the product of work. Fruit is the product of growth. When a tree is growing, it, it bears a product. Notice whose fruit it is, folks. It's not my fruit. If you'll go home and work real hard on being loving, this will be the product. It's not the product of you. It's not the product of your effort. It is the fruit, it is the product of the Holy Spirit. And so when all of a sudden love is popping up in my life and patience and self-control and gentleness and faithfulness, when these things are popping up, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's going to guide me to that. He's going to open my eyes to that. Man, look at that. I belong to God. Clearly that's God doing that in my life. Maybe God uses me to encourage somebody or, or to be a part of seeing somebody come to Christ. Man, look at that. I mean, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to, uh, to affect the eternal in my own power. Look what God is doing. God lives in me. Man, I belong to God. Maybe I'm just walking through a day and my heart just erupts in praise. And I just find myself singing praises of worship to the Lord. How does that happen? Holy Spirit living in me. Man, look at that. Evidence that God lives in me. Folks, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. Notice in this passage, there's nowhere that if you do one, two, three, four, then the Holy Spirit will show you. Then the Holy Spirit will encourage you. Then the Holy Spirit will convince you. When the Holy Spirit's living in you, He is leading you to this place where you enjoy what it means to be a son of God. And by the way, this is one place. There are places in the Bible where it says men, and you can translate that people. This isn't one of them. You don't want to translate sons of God. Now, it talks about children of God just a few lines later. But this is one place where you don't want to change sons of God to a more politically correct children of God. You want to be a son of God. Yes, ladies, that includes you. And it's not about a gender change. We want to be. Because in this culture, in the place that Paul is writing, the son of God, the son, was a position. It was a title that had something to do with the inheritance. And you can see in this passage, it's all about an inheritance. So you want men and women in the person of Christ. You want that position. You want that place of a son in the inheritance. And that's being afforded to you and I. Because we are all children. Look at verse 16. Man, are you saying that? Man, I'm a child of God. I mean, my dad's not just a big important dad. My, my dad's not just a really wealthy dad. This is a lot bigger than my dad's better than your dad. My dad is better than all of y'all's dad. But that's not what this is about. Man, my dad, my dad's the king of all kings. 
My dad is the God of all gods. My, ga- my dad is the Almighty, the Most Holy. He is the Great I Am. He is the Alpha and Omega. My dad is the Eternal Father. My dad actually does own everything. Folks, this is not myth. It's not fairy tale. It is truth. Where does that show up in our lives? I just can't help but believe if my dad was president of the United States, if my dad was the wealthiest person in the world, if my dad had all kinds of authority and power, that as his child, wouldn't that give me a sense of... I mean, you would, wouldn't you just be a little bit more confident? A little bit more excited? I mean, think how much it takes to bother you. What, you popped a tire? Oh, you know what, I guess I can handle it. I got like all the money in the world. You know what I mean? What sets you back when you're a child of a person like this? You know, folks, I look around in my life and I look around in the church and I look around at Christian in America and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't see a whole lot of us operating from that level of confidence. I don't see a whole lot of us operating from that kind of excitement, that kind of position. Well, what am I doing wrong? But this is where the Holy Spirit is leading us. To enjoy this assurance. We need to start asking ourselves, why? Why is that not happening? Why am I not operating from that kind of confidence? And it, it doesn't end there, man. It just keeps going. When the Holy Spirit is le- leading, living in us, He is going to lead us to a place where we are connecting with God. Man, I love this verse, one of my favorite in the Bible. Folks, when the Holy Spirit, when I have yielded control to Him and He is leading my life, He will lead me, will lead you. That in our conversation with God, we will naturally cry out, Abba, Abba. You know that word, you've heard this before, that means Daddy. That's the exact same word that Jesus, the very Son of God, That's the very word that Jesus used when he talks to his dad. Folks, this is where the Holy Spirit's going to lead in your life and in my life. He is leading us to a place where our conversation, our relationship, our intimacy with God is such that we just naturally begin to use the word daddy. You know when I hear the word daddy, you know what I think of? I think of loving access. Doesn't that word give loving access? There are four people on this planet, Mary Beth, Amy, Colin, and Randy, that at least as it relates to me, can use that word daddy. And you realize that word gives an access into my life that nobody else on this planet will ever possess. Now, I'm not saying getting into my life would be such a great thing. But when they use that word, daddy, And the word even implies that all is right and good, doesn't it? The word even implies love. I mean, I know in an earthly sense, when I don't like my dad or my dad doesn't like me, daddy ain't the word we're using. No, we're just not. We might say dad, we might say father, but we... Daddy does not come as natural in the midst of an argument, does it? In the midst of a fight. No, the word implies a loving access. Daddy. That's where the Holy Spirit... This is not... Folks, this passage is not saying when you go home today and you pray, use the word daddy. It's not a command. It's what comes natural. It's what begins to evolve as we talk to our Father when the Holy Spirit has got control over our lives. 
He is going to lead you to a loving access with your eternal heavenly Father. And doesn't in there, and when the Holy Spirit is living in us, He is going to remind us of our value. Do you remember how much we're doing? I mean, if you're being honest with yourself, folks, and sometimes it, it's not a first level of thinking. We have to kind of stop and really think about it. But we live in the fear of rejection. We're doing all kinds of, even the tough, I don't need anybody's approval. Yeah, you do. And that's why you're acting that way. You're trying to show how tough you are so that we're all in awe of you. What a, ooh. Folks, sometimes the toughest person is the most scared person in the room. But when the Holy Spirit's in control, He's not leading me to this place. Oh God, what, what's God think of me? What's going to happen? Oh, I know I've messed up. I know I'm going to get zapped. And see, that's our natural way to think, but it's not the Holy Spirit's way to think in us. He wants to lead us to our value. He reminds us that we've been adopted. And this is an incredible picture here, folks. This word, this idea of adoption. And by the way, it's not the word that you and I think of. It's the same thing. A parent adopting a child, but that's not the picture. This picture right here is not as much about a baby giving a baby a home. This picture right here is not as much a, a picture of, a, of an unprepared and unready parent maybe turning over a child to a prepared and ready parent. That's really not this picture in Rome. In Rome, quite often, adoption was happening with one adult and another adult. This is incredibly, beautifully portrayed in a movie called Ben-Hur. Have you seen that movie? Been a long time since you've seen it? Get it and watch it. Get it and watch it soon. Great movie leading up to Easter. If you know the movie, it's about a man named Ben-Hur. In the background of Ben-Hur's life, the story of Jesus is going on. In the movie, you don't see Jesus. It's like a three-hour movie. You don't see Jesus 15 seconds. You see His feet one time. You see the base of the cross one time. Most powerful movie about Jesus I think I've ever seen. How in the world powerful movie on the blood and forgiveness the difference that the blood of the cross makes in receiving forgiveness and in giving forgiveness it's a tremendous movie highly recommend you get it mo netflix down this week with request for ben hur okay that's not what i wanted to talk about in the story of ben hur ben hur is this wealthy uh jewish man jewish adult and through a series of events, some political things going on, a betrayal by a friend, man, he ends up being arrested, ends up losing everything, ends up in slavery, and spends decades in slavery having lost everything. And he is purchased in this process of being slave. He is purchased by a wealthy Roman citizen. And in that relationship, they grow very close together. And, and this man starts to just love Ben-Hur, and he has no son, he has no heir. And so as it gets near the end of the movie, this, this Roman man adopts Ben-Hur. And in that adoption, it not only frees him from his slavery, now that's pretty awesome, isn't it? But if he's freed from slavery, all he is now is a very poor free man. All he is now is a free man with no standing, no status in life. But he not only adopts him, thereby freeing him from his slavery, but in that adoption, Ben-Hur immediately, instantly becomes the heir to this man's wealth. He immediately and instantly has his standing, his value in the world. 
Folks, that's what God has done for you and I. He has not just freed us from sin and death and hell. And by the way, that'd be enough, wouldn't it? But God has not just freed us from sin and death and hell, but in adopting us as His child, He has given us instant and immediate standing now and in eternity. I am now the heir of heaven. I am now the heir of the wealth of God. Think that ought to make a difference on my attitude about tomorrow? You see, folks, I I read this and I keep thinking, do we believe this? You know, I would imagine right now if we did a survey, how many of you believe the Bible? I bet it'd be pretty high in this room, don't you? 80, 90, 95%? What, What are we saying when we say, I believe in the Bible? Because folks, everything I've just communicated is absolute truth about you in the person of God. And I wonder how many of us believe this. I wonder how many of us are living in this. And I'm God's child. I've been adopted. I'm the heir to heaven. Man, how exciting to think. How exciting to think. The Holy Spirit living in me, He is going to guide me. He is going to assure me that I belong to God. He is going to work to create an intimacy between God and I where I call Him Daddy, where we have that kind of of love and, and relationship together. He is going to remind me continually and constantly of my value, of my worth in heaven and in this world. So why am I walking around with the attitude I have? Why can I be set off so quick? You know, I just can't help but believe, folks. I don't don't know that believing this would mean all sins just become no temptation to me anymore. But really, what, what does sin have to lure me now? What can sin possibly be offering me when I'm standing in the position I am? Wouldn't it make a difference? So if it's not, the question becomes why? It's not because the Holy Spirit's not doing this. That's what He is, capital I-S. That's what He is doing. So why am I, why are you possibly not enjoying this? From this passage, I can only surmise two reasons. I'm not saying maybe that there's not another. But as I read through Romans chapter 8 to this point, there are two reasons why I'm not enjoying this confidence, this assurance, this power, this authority. One, I don't actually belong to God. That's probably a hard one for a lot of us sitting in church to consider because I'm a good church person. I'm a good religious person. I do all kinds of good acts. And that, by the way, folks, in and of itself is a description of being in the flesh. If the reason you would say that you belong to God is because of the work you've done, Your religiosity, your morality, that is the definition of living in the flesh. My confidence is in self. A lot of church people in America today are sitting in the flesh. Absolutely confident in how moral, how religious they are seeking to be. And if if I don't belong to God, then obviously I'm not going to reap the benefit of His work in my life. Because He doesn't live in me if I don't belong to Him. The only other reason I can see that I might not be enjoying this is I do belong to God. I am a genuine child of God. But I'm living life in the flesh. Remember we talked about how we can go back and forth? 
Some of us may not be going back and forth. We may go to the flesh and just stay there. We, we may be living a, a high percentage of our life in the flesh. And if I'm living in the flesh, my mind, my spirit is not sensitive to the spirit, so I'm not going to see him pointing out that I belong to God. I'm not going to hear him reminding me of who I am and what I have in God. And so I'm not going to enjoy that confidence, that position, that strength in life that God has, not will, has one for me. Whether I don't belong to God or whether I'm living in the flesh, either place in Romans 8 says you cannot please God from that position. You cannot live a life that will please God. Where are you? Are you living confidently in the Spirit? Are you reaping the fruit of His leadership, His guidance in your life, what He is going to do for every believer? If not, why? Are you confident today that you belong to God? Well, can you ever really be confident? Yes! That's exactly what the Holy Spirit's doing. Giving you an incredible confidence that you belong to God. Or are you just living too much of life in the flesh? You know, I suppose as a good preacher, and I don't know that I am, I should now talk about what you should do what you should wrestle with in this question so that you know whether the Holy Spirit's in you or not. But I'm not. I'm not going to answer that question for you. If if you're here today and you're not living in the confidence of belonging to God, I, I want you to answer that question by yourself between you and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray this afternoon? Would you pray in the morning? Holy Spirit, I I see what you are going to be doing and I don't see that at all. Why? Why? Do, Do I not belong to you? Am I living in the flesh and have deceived myself with how good I am? Why am I not enjoying what you are doing in my life? I might could get you started with one, two, three suggestions, but folks, it's really between you and the Holy Spirit. Will you this week? Will you talk to Him about that if you're not enjoying that confidence? If you're not enjoying who and what you are in Christ? Will you dialogue? He wants to answer you. He wants you to know. Let's pray. Father, I pray that between this moment right here And next Sunday when we all come back in here to celebrate the Lord's Supper and another day of worship as believers, I pray that everybody who enters this room will enter with an overwhelming confidence that we are sons of God. We enter this room with a confidence that I am a child, an heir to heaven. And we start thinking about what that can mean to my life. I wonder if I would forgive easier I wonder if I'd love easier. I wonder if I would have a different outlook on a day and how it turned out and what happened. If I really believed, really lived in the truth that I'm a child of God and heir to heaven. Holy Spirit, we turn ourselves over to you. We we don't have to ask you, would you leave? This is who you are, it's what you do. You will lead our spirit to know these things. 
I pray that we will make our spirits sensitive to who you are and to what you're doing and to what you want to say in our lives. Holy Spirit, you've been introduced to us by our Savior as a helper. Would you help us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.